Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody's week okay? I hope. Uh, had some good weather this week. Uh, we went to Farmer's Fair up in Dillsburg yesterday and ate a lot of food. Uh, but uh, hopefully you guys are having uh, good weeks and uh, enjoying this fall weather. Uh, so I have a question for you this morning. How many of you are you uh, using social media? Oh no, he's asked this question three weeks in a row. What is wrong with this guy? Yeah, I know, I know, it's three weeks in a row. But a lot of us are familiar with social media. A lot of us use social media on a regular basis. And one of the things that we often see on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those other things is people telling the world what they think. How many of you have ever posted on social media telling people what you think? No, nobody ever does that. All we do is post pictures of our food online and that's it. A lot of people will post things telling people what they think, why they think it, and why if you don't think it, you're an idiot. That is what social media has become. And usually you will see people who are the proud graduates of SMU, Social Media University, and they have earned their degrees and become experts in whatever the topic is that they want to tell you about. Law, medicine, politics, religion, even if they have no idea what they're talking about. And they'll post quite confidently about these things without much evidence to suggest they know about it except for what they read on social media, right? This is, this is kind of this vicious cycle that goes on and it turns social media into this really twisted game of telephone. How many of you have ever played the game telephone before? Yeah, the kids are smiling. I don't know, can I tell a telephone? Uh, so if you're not familiar with telephone, telephone is this game where you get this big group of people together. The bigger the group, the better. And there's one person who's in charge of the message. So they have the original message and usually they'll have it written down on a card or something. And they'll call the first person up and they will read the message word for word to that person. And then what happens? That person whispers the message into the next person's ear, and that person whispers it into the next person's ear, and goes all the way around. We should play that this morning. No, we don't have time to play that this morning. But what ends up happening is you get through the whole group, and the last person then announces the message to the group. And hilarity ensues, because the message that the last person has is almost nothing like the message that the first person, the, the holder of the message had. And I've played this game with my students in, in, in school, but uh, I wanted to, I kind of did a little sociological experiment. So instead of them just whispering to each other, what I did is I would have them come out into the hallway and I would give the message to the first person on the card, here's the message. And, they, and then I would call kids out one at a time for the message and the first person would read the message and then they'd go back in and I had another teacher inside and they were making sure nobody was talking about the message and I'd have the kids come out one by one and they would say the message to one another and this was the most hilarious thing that I have ever seen in my entire life. So we start out with an index card and I, I started out with an index card uh, one time that said a Taco Bell burrito with extra cheese and jalapeno sauce. Right? 
like we would order at a Taco Bell. And then I'd call each student and I'd listen as they relayed the message. And after about 20 students, the message came back, Taco Bell hates cheesy sauce. which I was impressed with. They actually remembered Taco Bell all through all 20 kids that went through. But as I listened, I determined there were many reasons why the message started getting garbled. And one, sometimes one of the players just would forget one of the words. And either they wouldn't say it at all or they'd make up a new word that sounded something like maybe the other word said, and they would pass that on. And all of a sudden, the message breaks down a little bit. And then another person would come out and they wouldn't speak clearly enough. And if you've ever been a teacher, you have at least two students in every classroom that talk like this and they don't really want to talk at all. And if they talk, they're going to say something like this. And, you're right. and it's very hard to hear them. I actually started thinking I was going deaf a little bit. I'm sorry, what, what did, and, and I actually say that again. But if they're not loud enough, then you're not getting the message, right? And that was happening a couple times. And then there were those students, my one or two students, that I would call the whatevers. They didn't care about the game, they didn't care about the message, and they were just, I don't care, whatever. But whatever the reason, there was this breakdown or multiple breakdowns in communication that caused the message to change from the original message. And that's because no one was there except for me, and I was only an observer, but no one was there who knew the original message to help them get back to it, to help them kind of recover. And the message became twisted. It becomes also sometimes unintelligible. And this fall, we've been learning about the core values of the Brethren in Christ Church, these things that help us to understand what our denomination considers the most important aspects of Christian life, the way that we can best uh, live, best serve each other, best serve our community and our world. And we've explored several things. Uh, first was experiencing God's love and grace. And we talked about believing the Bible. We talked about worshiping God, following Jesus, belonging to a community of faith, all of these things are important to the Brethren in Christ Church, the church that we belong to if we are members here. And this morning, we're gonna take a look at the next core value, and the next core value is called witnessing to the world. And as soon as I said witnessing to the world, some of you just shut down your ears because we don't like thinking about witnessing to the world. We like to, 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 you know, hang back a little bit, maybe not say a whole lot about our faith. But we're called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the last thing Jesus said to his followers before he left earth, before he ascended back into heaven, is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we kind of have to think about, well, what does this mean? What is being a witness? And some of us grew up in churches where, you know, the pastor would get up front and say, anybody want to testify? Anybody ever been in a church where, where you know, hey, who's going to get up? Who's going to testify? Tell me who, what Jesus is doing in your life this week. 
right? And they would consider that being a witness, sharing the things that God has done for you in your life. Some people, and this happened in uh, my church when I was growing up, we would actually go someplace. Like, I grew up outside of Baltimore and went to a church in Dundalk, Maryland. And we would go to Baltimore City, usually like a really kind of seedy part of Baltimore City. And it was usually like the youth group and a couple of adults. And we would be dropped off in the middle of this city at night with a whole bunch of tracts. You guys know what tracts are, these little pamphlets you pass out, you know. Jesus loves you, Jesus saves, all these things. And we were expected to go up to people and God loves you, Jesus loves you. And of course the entire time we're terrified <laughs> because it's dark and people look like they don't really like us very much. But some people called that witnessing. But when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, the word that he used here for witness is the same word that, that we get the word martyr from. So when we witness, we are martyring. We are sharing evidence that we have seen of an, of an event, something we, that we have directly heard, something that we have directly experienced. It's kind of like being in a courtroom. Anybody ever watch Law and Order? Right, or Matlock, or whatever the new law shows are. I watch every law show, so. And you always see the person in the witness box, right? And the jury is sitting there, and the witness is talking. And if you've ever served on a jury, you know that your job is to sit there and decide if these witnesses are telling the truth or not telling the truth, or if they're only telling part of the truth. And that is the job of the jury to decide what is being said and is it the truth. And the world is our jury. The world is looking to us. They're looking at what we say. They're looking at what we do. And they are judging whether or not this Christianity thing, as they call it, is true. This is a much bigger responsibility than I think some people give it credit for. And we want to look at some of the things that the Bible says about being a witness. Because Jesus is saying faith is being put on trial here. Your faith is being put on trial in every corner of the world, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And people will hear you and some of them will doubt, some of them will mock, some of them will sneer. But if you can convince them that the experiences that you are describing, the things that you are saying are true, they're going to end up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a huge responsibility. Basically, Jesus is saying, tell them about me. problem we have in the 21st century, of course, is that none of us were there, right? None of us were there when Jesus walked the earth, when he taught, when he healed, when he died, when he rose again. But what we did have was 120 disciples 
who were with Jesus, standing right there in front of him after he had died and rose again. And he was standing there talking to them when he said, you will be my witnesses. You will tell people all of the things that I have done, all of the things that I have said. You can tell them that you saw the prints in my hands, the nail prints in my hands. You can tell them that you saw the hole in my side from where the soldier rammed that spear there to make sure that I was dead. You saw these things. And you can tell people about it through the Holy Spirit's power. And Jesus said, as you're telling people about it, thousands, Thousands, millions of people will come to understand that what you're saying is true. That I am who I say I am. And we read about, in, in the book of Acts, we read about Peter preaching to a crowd right after the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120. And he preached and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ that day. They were saved and they were baptized. And the whole rest of the book of Acts shows us how the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, was spread by these 120 witnesses, people who had seen and known Jesus. And they spoke to large crowds in the temple. They went before religious leaders. They went before the government, right? They were in front of governors and, and kings, and they were talking about this Jesus and telling them what Jesus did, what Jesus said. Now up until Acts chapter uh, nine, this witness, this was only relegated to the Jews, the people of God. But the thing is that God, in pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, wanted everybody to know Jews and non-Jews. The big fancy word for that is Gentiles. And God wanted the Gentiles to know Jesus Christ because God wanted all people to be his people. And so in Acts chapter 10, we read about this man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. So he was definitely not a Jew, but this Gentile, was visited by an angel of God. And Cornelius was a man that the Bible says believed in God, which was kind of unusual for a Roman of that time. But we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 10 and in verse 2. And we're going to kind of skip around in Acts chapter 10 a little bit this morning. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So we don't know how Cornelius got to know who God was, but we do know that at some point along the way, he was told about who God was, and he served God as if he was a Jew. And in verses four through six, we see this angel visiting Cornelius and it's, the angel says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Cornelius gets this confirmation that God is who he says he is and that God is pleased with him. And now God wants Cornelius to know about his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, send for this man, Simon, who is called Peter. Simon, who is called Peter, was the apostle, Simon Peter. He was one of the 120 witnesses. In fact, he was one of the closest witnesses. He was with Jesus from day one of his ministry. So he knew what had happened all the way through. And we read that Cornelius did as the angel instructed and sent men to get Simon Peter to come and visit with him. And then we read about what happened uh, in Acts chapter 10, 9 through 48. The whole rest of the story is there. I really encourage you to read it at some point. But we're going to take a look just at a few of the verses. In verses 11 through 13, we see that Peter um, has this vision. Actually, the vision starts in verse 9. But we're going to read from verse 11. Peter saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, one of the things we got to understand about Peter is Peter was a devout Jew. Peter followed the law, and in Leviticus, the law is very specific about the things that Jews can and cannot eat. And when this sheep drops down from heaven in Peter's vision, he saw a whole lot of things that he wasn't supposed to eat, pigs and lobsters and shrimp and all these different birds, bats and things like that. All of the, yes, I know, you're disgusted, yeah. <laughs> Bats, ew! <laughs> but there were all of these things. And the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, there were probably some clean animals in this sheet as well. It was probably a representation of all of the animals on earth. It doesn't tell us that, but we can guess that there were a lot of animals. But even having a scorpion or a shrimp or a lobster mixed in, with the clean animals would make all of the animals unclean. And Peter said no to the voice. This voice that came from heaven said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to do that. I can't eat those things. Those things are unclean. Those things are things that common people eat. I don't want to eat that. And we read in verse 15, the voice came to him again a second time. And he told Peter, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. And we see in the Bible that this event happened three times. The sheep came down, Peter saw, the voice said, kill and eat. Peter said, no. What God has called clean, do not call common or unclean. It's a pretty weird vision. Wouldn't you agree? I've had some pretty weird dreams. I've never had a dream quite like this one. But 
we learn throughout the next portion of Acts chapter 10 that Peter comes to understand what the vision means because right after he saw this vision three times, Cornelius's guys came and were looking for Peter. And eventually Cornelius kind of just gave up and he came to where Peter was. And Peter greets him. And Peter understands who he is. I don't know if Cornelius was wearing his Roman centurion garb or not, possibly. But he knew that he wasn't a Jew. And in verses 28 and 29, we read what Peter says. He said to them, you yourselves know, he's talking to Cornelius and his men, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and asked then, why have you sent for me? Cornelius tells the story. He tells the story about this angel who came and said, God has received your prayers. God has honored your alms. Send for Simon Peter and have him talk to you. And so Peter talks to them. He gathered a whole family together and a bunch of his friends too, and they all gather together. And Peter gives his testimony. Peter witnesses to the Gentiles. And in verse 44, we read this, while Peter was still saying these things, while Peter was still testifying about Jesus Christ and who he was and the things that he had done, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter obeyed Jesus' command to be a witness, even though it didn't make sense to him at the time. Peter had no idea when the Holy Spirit fell on him that he would be talking to Gentiles. Had no idea. And then this vision comes, and now he understands. This word is for everybody. Everybody. And he watched, he witnessed as the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. And this is important because later he gets to go back to the church and he gets to say, um, guys, it's not just us anymore. God wants everybody. And this is how the word of God started spreading through the world to all people. God accepted the faith of one Gentile man. He accepted the prayers. He honored the, the giving of one Gentile man. And he told the man to go seek out somebody who knew Jesus Christ. And he obeyed. And because he obeyed, his family and everybody that was with him were saved. The Holy Spirit fell on all of them. This is the power of the witness of the disciples in the book of Acts. It is powerful. We saw lives changing 
We read the book of Acts and we see people healed in Jesus' name. We see the church grow through these witnesses. We saw Philip sending the word down to Ethiopia through an Ethiopian eunuch who happened to be on the same road that he was and was reading a passage of scripture and didn't understand it. And Philip, who was a witness of Jesus Christ, was able to go to this Ethiopian eunuch and say, all these things you're reading here, Jesus did that. All these things that you're reading here, Jesus fulfilled all of these writings that you have been studying. And the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized and was saved. And we see the gospel spread all throughout the book of Acts. But then, throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see how the telephone game gets started throughout the world. Because the 120 disciples, they started planting churches. They went to different towns, they went to different cities. People became saved. They started these local churches and these local churches would gather together and they would worship Jesus and they would worship God and they would do all these things. And then that disciple would leave to go plant another church. And a lot of the times the disciples then heard back about the church that they had planted, say over here in Corinth, that things weren't being done the way that were pleasing to God. And we read in the letters in the New Testament about this game of telephone that started happening, these things that started coming into the church that weren't really what God had intended, but it was what people started believing and acting on. And we see this message of Christ start to get twisted in these different ways. And the letters that we read, everything from Romans to Jude, are ways that these witnesses are attempting to correct some of the iffy philosophies and theologies that started permeating the church. Paul, Peter, James, John, they each write, letters to these communities of faith that they started through the power of the Holy Spirit and to tell them, hey, you're getting this wrong. Here's how you put it right. Paul writes the church at Corinth about divisions in the church stemming from this idea that people in the church were following other people. He talks about this guy named Apollos. And he finds out that there are some people in the church that are following Apollos, and some of the people in the church are following Paul. And Paul says, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be following Jesus, not Apollos, not Paul. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter, five, or chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, he says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We are servants through whom you believe. Servants through whom you believed. You heard our message. You heard our testimony. And you believed. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 
God sent Apollos to certain people in Corinth. God sent Paul to certain people in Corinth to share the same message, that it is Jesus Christ who provides salvation. And Paul goes on, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. We each did our jobs as we were assigned. But God gave the growth. God is the one who's in charge. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Our aims, our goals are the same, to bring people to Jesus Christ. But if my job is to plant and his job is to water and you only take the planting message or you only take the watering message, you're not getting the whole message. You're not getting the whole story. You're not believing what we have told you. And this is what was causing divisions in the church. The Apostle Peter, he writes a letter to several communities of faith. And in 1 Peter 1, he reminds them of the gospel that was shared with them by Peter and other witnesses. But chapter 2 starts this way. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Well, why is there hypocrisy? Why is there deceit? Why is there envy? Why is there slander? If everybody heard the same message, it's because people were starting to pay attention to other people outside of the church or even other people inside of the church that were getting the message wrong. They were playing this game of telephone and they were getting it wrong. And Peter writes a letter to tell them, look, these are the things that you're supposed to be doing. This is what we taught you in the beginning. This is what the witnesses said. We gotta remind you of these things. James writes a letter to Jewish believers and he admonishes them for their anger and their hypocrisy. And he even reiterates the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus that these witnesses would have heard, these witnesses would have shared with the church. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we might remember that Jesus told the people that he spoke to on the Sermon on the Mount the same exact thing. If you are doers of the word and or you are hearers of the word and not doers, you're like a man who builds his house on sand. And what Jesus is saying there is, you're deceiving yourself into thinking that that house is strong. You're deceiving yourself into thinking that a storm won't blow that house away if you build your house on sand. And James reiterates this same idea, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. John probably gives the sternest warning about how this game of gospel telephone becomes lethal to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, John writes of many antichrists who have risen out of the church. And we talked about these antichrists last week. John tells the believers, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has, uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is saying, there are people in your church that are telling you that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. 
There are people who are telling you that Jesus Christ is not who he said he was, who the witnesses have shared with you that he was. They are anti-Christs. They are against Christ because they don't believe who Jesus is. And he has to write this letter to this church, to believers, saying, you're getting some wrong preaching. You're getting some wrong theology. And then he goes on to tell them what to do. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Remember my testimony. Remember our witness. Remember when we told you that we saw and we heard Jesus Christ. And yes, we heard Jesus Christ affirm that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Don't listen to these other people who would put Jesus as second or third or not important. In this game of gospel telephone, we still see 2,000 years later, we got pre uh, preachers that are preaching, God wants you to be rich. We got preachers that are preaching, Jesus isn't the only way to God. We got preachers who are saying there's no such thing as hell. We got preachers preaching these things from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. These are church leaders, and they're twisting the word of God. And the Bible tells us why they twist the word of God. They twist the word of God because it's what people want to hear. The Bible calls it tickling their ears. They don't want to hear that there is a hell that they could possibly go to and that Jesus is the only way back to the Father. What they want to hear is, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. God would never send you to hell. And that's what they preach. Personally, I don't think God sends anybody to hell. I think that everybody's already going to hell and God rescues them from it. But this is the game of telephone, the gospel telephone game that has permeated the church. And it is causing people to head down a road that leads to destruction instead of the road that leads to eternal life. So what do we do? How do we become witnesses to a world who's continually hearing these lies about Jesus? This continually hearing these lies about the Bible and about faith. There's only one thing we can do. We gotta go back to the source. We gotta go back to the original message. And that means that we sit in prayer, reading the scripture, reading what Jesus said, reading about what Jesus did. And we find those things in our own lives where Jesus has worked and we tell people about it. 
And that comes back to that idea of it being really scary to do. Witnessing is scary work for some people. Witnessing could cause trouble for some people. It could cause trouble for me. I'm a school teacher. I'm not supposed to be allowed to talk about God or Jesus or anything like that in school unless a student brings it up first. How do I get a student to bring up Jesus? How do I get a student to bring up God? I live like Jesus. I live a life that's pleasing to God. When they ask me what I did this weekend, I'm allowed to tell them I went to church. I'm even allowed to tell them I'm a pastor. Can't tell them anything else unless they ask. Do you know how many have asked? Quite a few. It gets scary for us. We have a school administrator sitting here this morning. It's probably even scarier for them. Our human resources departments tell us, you can't have a Bible out on your desk. You can't hang a Bible verse up on your wall. That's not allowed. It's being intolerant of other people's beliefs. But those people that feel that we're intolerant can have an entire room at lunchtime to go and pray to Allah. We have to stop being afraid. We have to start realizing that Jesus Christ gives us power through the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses wherever we are. Sometimes that witness is nothing more than living the life that God is pleased with. Looking different enough from other people that they'll come up and start asking us questions. And when they come and start asking us questions, we can turn to the scripture that we have read, that we have studied, and say, this is who Jesus is. And by doing those things, we can plant or we can water and God can give the increase. God will send the Holy Spirit to minister to those people. God will send the Holy Spirit to convict those people of their sin and to tell them all they need to do is ask forgiveness. All they need to do is repent. All they need to do is turn back towards God. That's what being a witness is. For some of us, we may never talk about the gospel to people. That's not the way it should be. We should be ready to talk about the gospel to people when they ask us questions about why our lives are so different. Why do you go to church every Sunday morning? Why are you up at seven o'clock on a Sunday morning to go and sing at church or go and, and, and listen to somebody talk for an hour? Well, let me tell you why. And that's your opening. That's your opportunity. We point to our own experiences. We point to scripture and we say, this is who Jesus is. 
This is what Jesus has done. And we let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today as you walk out of here this week. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share Jesus Christ with people. Be afraid not to. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to rescue a world that was dying in sin. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that allows us to come back to you even though we don't deserve it. Father, let us have hearts for those people who don't know you. Let us have hearts for those people who have not experienced even a, a glimpse of the gospel from anywhere else. Help us to share our testimony. Help us to be witnesses using your word, using our experiences, and relying on the Holy Spirit to have the courage, to have the strength, just to share. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will work through us and into those people that we share the gospel with, and that they will come to know your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, my family and I will not be here. Uh, Pastor Ron Slabaugh, a friend of mine uh, from the Dillsburg area, will be coming to deliver the message. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. But for the next week or two, my prayer is that you will find the strength and that you will find the courage and that you will find opportunities to share Jesus Christ with other people. Don't keep him to yourself. Find ways to share him with other people. Find ways to help them to see who Jesus is so that they might experience the Holy Spirit, they might experience the saving power of Jesus Christ. God bless you this week.